Wow. What a powerful discussion that was. was He was also very calming. I feel very (laughs) at ease. Um, You guys have a lot to look forward to. There's um, a depth to Mr. Van Slyke, to Dr. Craig Van Slyke, PhD, piled high and deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know what's so funny is his photo that where we uh, meet up with potential guests. I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be a dry. This is going to be just like low. All right, well, let's do this exact opposite, man, just a... uh, Wonderful, wonderful. I could have gone another hour. Yeah, it was really easeful. He had very intelligent conversation. A lot of insight here. A lot of opportunities to challenge yourself as an individual and in various ways and reflections on our country and economics. Greg and I, uh, as usual, peppered our guest with a series of inane ins- in- insights. <laughs> Being the lay people that we are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's get into it. Yeah, have fun. Sis or no? Levin, 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 Levin. This is Zicher Vegan Dem. You're eating it, yo. Sitaki Ubenza. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. <laughs> and now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. And we're live with another episode of Moped Outlaws. So crack open a bottle of Adrenochrome Cola and sit back and relax. And we're here with special guest, Craig Van Slyke. Craig, welcome to the road. Thanks. I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's so great to have you. I was just doing a little bit of brief research on your podcast and some of the things I found on your LinkedIn profile. And a moment ago, we were just talking about how Greg and I are in Northern California and then you're in Northeast Louisiana and how these places might have a little bit of difference to them. <laughs> a bit, a bit. Yes, well, on the weather. Um, on the weather, that's right. Like you openly describe yourself as a bit of a redneck. And I have never met anyone in California who described themselves. I have. Really? Like they said, I'm a redneck? Yep. Oh, I'd like to meet that individual. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Honestly, the term comes from, you know, hardworking people who are out in the sun and the back of their neck gets, you know, tan. It's not just a, a philosophical point of view. Right. I, I think redneck um, gets to be a bit of a pejorative, maybe yeah. fairly in some instances and unfairly in others. But I, my my general view is, you know, it's a hardworking, not afraid to go out there and, you know, do what needs to be done. Uh, kind of an attitude is why I call myself a bit of a redneck. My my wife hates it. But she I, hates I like, that you call, call yourself that? Yeah, I, well, she she grew up in Missouri, and there's a little bit different connotation of redneck there. Yeah, so it's kind of these labels that we give each other. They can be really diminutive and d- destructive of the connection that we share. It, it, in a way, we're trying to identify and trying to just you know locate each other on some kind of spectrum. But at the end of the day, we're so beyond what these labels. Wait, wait, I have a really important question. Okay. Sure. 
What's pejorative mean? Bad, negative. Oh, okay. That's not a great definition, but that's kind of the idea. So if it's a pejorative term, it's a negative connotation. Yeah, you're trying to put somebody down, right? So if you okay. call them, I mean, around here, if you call somebody a redneck, you know, it's not really a big deal. But I would imagine if you're in San Francisco and call somebody a redneck, it's not intended as a compliment. Right, right. Except um, in some moped circles. <laughs> <laughs> I here's something I've just died to bridge because I saw on one of your recent posts um, you shouted out Ted Hawkins and his version of their span class. Um, I love Ted Hawkins, and I remember I came across him and uh, um, his that opening song of that album, "Strange Conversation." Mm -hmm. Oh my. Oh, he's amazing. And what, wasn't he a homeless street artist when he yeah. got discovered? Yeah, I think that's his backstory. Yeah. And so I was um, talking with Mark a bit before you came into our studio, our elaborate studio here. Um, I believe, From what I've seen, it seems like you have a real passion for music. You quoted James Taylor in the podcast I listened to. Is that real? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a... Always has been a big part of my life since I was a kid. And it, uh, you know, it goes from building you up to, you know, crying with you when you want it to. I, I used to, I went through a phase where whenever I'd get bummed out, I'd pull out my fedora, get a glass of scotch and turn the lights down and listen to Aretha Franklin for a couple of hours. And then the next morning I'd wake up and hung over and think, well, that was stupid and along <laughs> with life, you know. So is there a haunt where you live that you um, go to for live music? Uh, unfortunately, uh, my wife has a hearing disability and can't really enjoy live music anymore. But uh, there, there are a few places around here. Louis music in Louisiana is pretty good and not just in New Orleans. So can you share, like, is there a night that comes to mind or an experience with live music where it was just all that is written on paper, you know? Yeah, I've seen a couple of really amazing concerts. Um, one was seeing Van Morrison live. So saw him a couple of times, and he's a huge favorite of mine. Uh, Nancy Griffith, I know pretty different from Van Morrison, but saw her at a really pretty small venue in St. Petersburg, Florida. Wow. It was great. And it's just the, you know, the whole mellowness of it but i've had a great time listening to a ton of local artists over the years so it it, it it never ceases to amaze me how many extremely talented people there are that are you know doing it just because they want to do it they're never going to be famous they're never going to make a lot of money but the world is a better place because of them yeah. And their communities. That's the thing is, is music at a root level is about the collective, right? It brings us all together into a heart space and we right. connect. Um, yeah. I was just watching back on how Van Morrison uh, spent the early part of his career and most of his hits were created while he lived here in the county where Greg and I live, which is Marin County, California, before he moved back to Ireland. And, um, we we know a couple of people who, you know, like I know his ex-wife and um, I've met his daughter 
And it's uh, it's interesting how all that impacts your community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, 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 and I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then, you know, we also worked at this restaurant for years. And back in the day, one of the things that this restaurant did was play all these recordings from an old defunct country radio station that was out of um, Gilroy, California, called K Fat Radio. And there was such a great historical. A legacy of songs because they were outlaw country before outlaw country was really a thing. Yeah. And I noticed some of your podcasts are on archive.org. So if you ever want to check out KFAT radio, you can go to archive.org and there's some oh, stuff nice. up there you can find out about it. And, you know, old classic Jerry Jeff Walker is like what they would consider a top 40 hit. Right. So nice, it's, it's nice. yeah, I, I really like a lot of the country music. I'm a huge. I mean, one of the other concerts that uh, meant a lot to me was going to see Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, yeah. And um, at a really old school um, venue in St. Louis, the Fox Theater. You know, one of the big ornate. Yeah, I've old, seen yeah. pictures of that with the huge neon sign that's yeah, vertical. It's, yeah. it's really really a cool venue and you know good acoustics in it and that sort of thing too yeah now, do you have hearing issues as well i mean we're all of a certain age i'm 60 greg's 60 i i do not i'm i'm lucky enough to uh have pretty decent hearing i, I chalk it up to being a substitute teacher when i was young so I could hear every bit of nonsense going on in an eighth grade classroom. So I think it, that's a lot of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, is there anything uh, music wise that you're passionate about right now? Did you go see the Taylor Swift concert? No, no. Unfortunately, I, I missed. I missed it. Uh, oh, I do wow. see her on the NFL games though. When the, the oh yeah, 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 yeah. She's right now the most popular player in the NFL. <laughs> That's right. No, I, I'm very, I'm very ADD when it comes to music. You know, I'll, I'll literally be listening to something classical, and then there'll be an old Ernest Tubb song, and then you know something. I haven't gotten too much into much of the newer stuff, but I think that kind of goes with age. But uh, kind of a little bit all over the place, kind of whatever strikes me at the moment. Do you like punk rock when it was coming around in the mid seventies? No, that that was not my uh, jam, as the kids say, at least as the kids used to say. Right. I'm an one of my great regrets in uh, fate throughout my life is that I came of age during the disco era. Yes, so did was, you have a white suit with a gold chain? I I did not, but I did have the uh, the kind of paisley, very flammable rayon shirts, and and I was never so glad of anything in my life as when uh, Urban Cowboy came out. Oh yeah, because the big you know cheap beer club that we all went to switched over from disco to country, and I thought, oh, thank God, you know, I don't have to listen to that stuff anymore. No, no offense if anybody's a disco fan. Or, or maybe there is a fence there. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, small fence. <laughs> um, I, 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 I love all genres of music. I can't think of a genre that I dislike. It always seems there's an appropriate time for everything. How about the Yoko Ono genre? Yeah. 
I won't tell anyone about it. But yeah, there's times where her screaming like a banshee in a microphone works for me. Uh, I'm know? sorry. I, I can't do this any longer. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> oh, we lost Craig. Well, <laughs> it's going to be a boring conversation now. Maybe Ooh, we should switch boy. subjects. Uh, all right. Let's change gears because both Mark and I are wondering what the hell is Thought Space? So ThoughtSpace is a new AI startup that I've done a little bit of work with that will take um, creators' output, put it into an AI model, and then uh, listeners or readers or whatever it might be can go in and ask questions in that thought space, and it will answer based on the content that the creator provided. So like if... You know, if you guys put all your stuff online and, and um, somebody asks about why Yoko Ono's music is terrible, <laughs> it would pull up this embarrassing moment. Um, and so how did you train it? Is, and is it still being trained? Yeah, it's still being trained. So you can you can go out and sign up for it and, you know, give it your RSS feed and it'll or your YouTube channel. It'll pull the stuff in. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of... Um, did a little bit of work with them more about um, the the user side of it. Um, okay. Like the UI elements? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, the uh, use cases and the UI elements. Um, okay. But it's really a fascinating technology. I'm using it in one of my classes. So um, I, was able, I was able to take the textbook content, upload it into ThoughtSpace with the permission of the publisher, and when the kids are studying for the exam, they can literally take the study guide, put in the questions, it'll pop up the answer. And now it's not, I tell them it's not perfect. So you, you're responsible for going in and double checking, but you know, it makes it so much more efficient for them. Yeah. That, and let's, so be, well, let's be clear that, that you are a professor at Louisiana Tech University College of Business, right? Right, right. Although anything I say here is not reflective of their values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. Well, we thank the university for lending us your um, non-associative thinking. All right. So all the lawyers, you can leave the room now. I think we've covered all the um, – so there's such um, – like we've had a few conversations about AI in our podcast, and one of the comparisons that comes up is in the academic world, and we – talk about us old men talk about when calculators first really got popularized and all the teachers are like, you cannot use a calculator, but it just finally was like, actually it switched. Like, please use a calculator. That's the tool of the day. And it seems like AI is going to follow suit and there's the whole thing of plagiarism. And how are you dealing with that as a teacher? Well, so I, I'm a big believer that we need to embrace it as a legitimate learning aid. Um, you know, we can fight it and try to ban it and everything else, but that's kind of like shouting at the tide. You know, you're just you're not going to stop it. So what's the point? So what I spend time with with my students is first helping them kind of understand that there are some guardrails about you know when it's okay to use it and when it's not, and then we actually use it. So I take them through um, a set of exercises where we start out doing silly stuff and gradually make it more and more serious. 
I want to apologize for my sniffiness. In Louisiana, the the allergies are only bad from January through December. So oh, that's perfect. That's yes. We, so you have like a small breeze bite on February 29th. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Um, so what are the guardrails that you... Well, so the, the big thing that I tell them is that it needs to be um, an aid to your learning, not a substitute for your learning. So, you know, use it so it can help you learn more effectively and more efficiently. But if you let it do stuff for you, then you're not learning. Um, and so I, I try to and, and, and I tell them, you know, you you probably know when you've crossed a line. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if you say, write this for me, you've crossed a line. Right. If you say, is this clear? And then give it a paragraph you've written. And it says, no, this isn't really clear and this doesn't flow well. And you really you've got a gap here. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I use it that way. Why? I don't know why we'd expect students to not use it that way. Do you use it in your blog posts as an editor? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I virtually every um, episode that I do, or every everything that I do around my podcast, live well and flourish. I do it with the assistance of AI. Um. It, I was just working on an episode uh, a little while ago talking about the importance of grace to human flourishing. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't have any training in that kind of thing. And so, you know, I said, okay, what do you think of this idea? I mean, literally, I, I think let's that grace is important it. to human flourishing. What do you think? Yeah, Matter of fact, I, I've, got, I've got a text shortcut for what do you think? When you say text shortcut, do you mean something you can copy paste into Chat GPT? Is that your choice? Is Chat GPT your choice? Yeah, I, I use mostly Chat GPT, but Poe dot com gives you access to a lot of different models, including one from Anthropic called Claude. And Claude has some advantages over Chat GPT. What um, what kind of advantages? So there's a thing called a context window, which you can think of as kind of how many words it can handle. Okay. Uh, and I think GPT-4s is like 32,000. And they're not really words, they're tokens, but it's 32,000. Claude 2 is 100,000. Wow. So you can put in some really long text and it will, you know, you can work with it. So it it's... You, I, I like Chat GPT better for most things, but there are some I, things where Claude is better. So Claude is spelled C L A U D, like E, like the name, right? Yeah, C L A U. Yeah. And Poe is P O E dot com. Right. Poe is just P O E dot com. That one I can spell. Claude, I'd have to think about it right now. I really want to get into this idea of what is grace. Well, that, before we do, because I want to get, learn more about this AI, do you take a lot of text about grace, dump it into the AI blender, and then go in and say, what do you think? No, no it's already got all that in there. So you have a prompt saying, here's my thoughts about grace. Well, what yours? If you'll excuse my inattention for just a second, I'll tell you the exact prompt. Okay. Um, I've got it up here on another screen. 
This is awesome. We're getting some very high level yeah. uh, assistance here from Mr. Craig Van Slyke, PhD. So, so in the, uh, that's, you know what that really stands for, don't you? Personally piled hedonistic high. dumbbell. Ooh, that, well, that would be apt too, but piled higher and deeper. <laughs> and it. it's, it's funny because it's mostly true. Um, so my, my literal prompt was in the context of eudaimonia, which is just excellence, living an excellent life, is it important to extend grace to others? Well, let me ask you, and using that word, eudaimonia, does that tend to veer the AI into a level of academia and knowledge just by the use of that word? Yeah, I, I think it does. Um, you know, that comes from Aristotle's ethics, um, Nick, Nick and I can never pronounce it ethics, but so it does, it triggers that. It says, okay, this is the perspective that wow. this conversation needs to flow from. So I think rudimentary, going back to the calculator idea, part of the adaption of it was it's here and you need to learn how to use a calculator. And what I'm hearing from you, which I've heard, but getting this real world experience with you, it is a tool and there is a learning curve to learning how to interact with this tool. Absolutely. And that's my goal for my students this term is to help them learn how to use it effectively and ethically. I mean, that, that's my mantra. We, we need to teach students how to use it ethically and effectively. That's awesome. Uh, Do you think that a research paper could legitimately cite a reference to an AI? I would lean towards no, although I'd be reluctant to make that a universal no. So mostly no. The the problem is that generative AI has no notion of truth. All it is is probabilities. Yeah. So kind of the way it works, and this is at a really high level, you give it a word, and it looks at all the data it's been trained on and said, here's the most likely next word. And then it takes those two words and predicts the most likely third word. And like I said, that's not exactly how it works, but conceptually, that's what it's doing. So it, it has no idea whether or not something's true. It's uh, just the, a word call, salad machine. That, that's right. I mean, the, the technical, more technical term for it is confabulation, <laughs> which means it, it, it makes stuff up. Hallucination is the other word that gets used. Last night, I heard an analogy with chess that an individual who's a master at chess, they can see moves like 15, 20 moves to the end of the game. And a computer doesn't do that. It looks at one move and the probabilities of that move. And the analogy was saying that's where that creative element is missing right now in AI. Right. But, But as a tool... It's amazing. So so the way that I try to explain what I see is really good use for people that create stuff is it's this infinitely patient, reasonably knowledgeable colleague. So it doesn't matter how stupid your questions are or how many rabbit holes you go down. It'll just keep spitting back answers. 
Wow. You know, we, we've all had that friend or, or have been that friend where you just never stop with the questions. And, you know, eventually it's like, oh, good Lord, just enough. Well, because I said he so. never does that. I noticed both of you smiling. I was wondering if you were thinking about each other. Well, um, I had someone with a history of a hyperbolic permutator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend towards that, that area of, of life. Like, so, ask me anything. I got an answer for you, Craig. Like, give me your toughest question right now, philosophically. Uh, what's the meaning of life? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I can, James Taylor during the passage of time, right? Uh, the meaning of life can be found in the new Dolly Parton line of cake mixes and um, biscuit mixes that are in stores these days. We we ha- just yesterday I had a Dolly Parton cake and icing. See, it wasn't it delicious? It, it really was. Um, <laughs> it was boss's day the other day, which I, I'm an ex-boss, but that is the most ridiculous holiday on the face of the earth. <laughs> but at least I got cake out of it. My Our departmental admin made cake, and it was really good. It was really yeah, good. It's a good stuff. You know, she's pretty well known for her quality. Like, that woman does not mess around. Now she doesn't. And she was just on the local, one of the local stations on an ad that her, I can't remember the name of it, but she's got this reading program that's putting millions of books. The library. Yes. Yes. And Louisiana's legislature just passed something to participate. So, um, yeah, she was on kind of congratulating everybody and thanking them. I, I think she's a genuinely good person. Oh, I, I think so too. And and what a uh, uh, what a mystery. Well, one, you talk about grace. That I think is a woman full of grace. And then there was a recent documentary came out. I think within the last year, and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin were talking about being in that nine to five movie with her, and they said they never saw her out of makeup or without her wig on. This like Dolly Parton was always Dolly Parton. And well, you know, when you're authentic, that's that's the way you can be, right? You're always you. Yeah. yeah. And she does have one of my favorite quotes about her life is when she was growing up, she saw this woman who was dressed real skimpily and heavy makeup, and she asked, you know, who's that? They said, Oh, that's trash. And she thought, when I grow up, I want to be trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have goals. Yeah, just love her. Just love her. Well, and uh, she was fully committed to her goals, and look what it did. Look what she created. Yeah. I mean, that's a really powerful principle, in, especially in America, I think, this idea of being just fully committed, all in. Yeah. And- but, you know, if and, and I'm way projecting here, speaking of making stuff up. But I'll bet if she'd never achieved that kind of fame, if she was just kind of who she was, she'd have still had a pretty happy life. Right. Because yeah. she's a, she generates it from within. Right. Right. That's part of what grace is. It's like your generosity, your ability to create that space in the moment where kindness, compassion, you know, the whole list Right. Right. All right. So what did AI 
give back to you like what what's your thoughts about grace now if you don't you you can say i don't want to spill the beans no that's fine that's fine um no so so grace is an unwarranted favor towards somebody so it's basically doing something for somebody whether that's doing them a kindness forgiving them being accepting of them anything like that when they haven't earned it you know, when they say God gives us grace, mm-hmm. you know, we really don't deserve it. But what makes it grace is we get it anyway. And so that that's kind of wh- where I'm coming from with this word grace. And and I think there is a what, what uh, I, I might call a virtuous cycle of grace where and stay with me here. This might be part of the piled higher and deeper <laughs> bit. So feel free to. Just tell me to shut up. But when when we extend grace to others, we're more likely to extend grace to ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, we, we we talk about being kind to others, being graceful towards other, all these things towards others. But it's just important to be kind and, and extend grace to yourself. Yeah. And then when you forgive yourself or, you know, do some kind of kindness for yourself or whatever, it makes you that much more likely to extend it to somebody else, which makes it more likely to extend it to yourself and so on. At least that's my thought on it. Well, going even past thought, is that your experience with it? Um, yeah, mostly, mostly. Um, I mean, there are limits, you know, you don't want to be a chump. Well, but isn't that even just that term chump? There's a choice like you've you've that's your perspective of yourself in that moment. Um, again, kind of going do- back to Dolly Parton, I imagine there's many a moment that we could witness and think, oh, that was a chump move. But there she is smiling, owning it and just fully comfortable in her body. Um, yeah. Well. Well, so one way that I look at it is I have a vision of the kind of person I want to be, you know, and and what I strive to be. And that requires me to have a certain amount of grace towards others. Now, if somebody turns out to abuse that, that's that's on them. That's their choice. That's not, you know, I, I, I'm matter of fact, I'm working on a or just recorded a an episode um, based on the saying, you you can't control the cards you dealt, but you can control how you play them. Yes. And so, you know, I I can't control the actions of others, but I can control how I react to them. And if I choose to react mostly with grace. And, you know, then if they, you know, if they want to be a bunch of jerks and, you know, about it or, okay, you know, that's their problem. That's not my problem. And again, it just seems like that uh, that perspective, like I'm thinking of your um, podcast episode, you were talking about being in, I think it was Ibiza with your wife. And oh, you were, Aruba, Aruba. Aruba, yeah. Aruba. And so you could have been the jerk through that whole trip, like just complaining and, and everyone would look at you going, God, that guy's a jerk. Why don't you leave if you're so unhappy? Yeah. Yeah. And then, I then I you were unhappy in Aruba. Well, so it was really pretty bad. So I, I went, it's kind of funny. So I, I am, 
when my wife and I started do- dating, I told her I'm part Scottish and part Dutch, so I'm cheap and boring. <laughs> and, and she married you anyway. Yeah, she married me anyway. Well, she, you know, not everybody has good judgment. I suppose. No wonder she's Grace not. means a lot. Grace that's counts right, for a lot. That's right. Uh, but what? But I am cheap. I mean, you know, I don't mind spending money when it's, you know, got some kind of a return, but I tend to be pretty, you know, I'm the turn the lights off kind of guy, you know, I'll keep, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep something around forever uh, if it's still got some use. But we get to Aruba, we get a cab and go to a grocery store because we were staying at a resort that was kind of at the far end of all the resort row. So we go to get snacks, and I'm thinking, well, this is going to save us money instead of buying, you know, stuff at the hotel. And everything was incredibly expensive. Like a box of crackers was seven and a half dollars or something. And I thought, oh, I mean, I'm just bitching up a storm. And I got that look. And anybody who's ever been married or in a serious relationship knows that look. And I got it, and I thought, Bubba, you've got a choice here. You can continue down this path and be the jerk, and you will have just pissed away the entire investment in this vacation. Or you can just, you know, shrug your shoulders and move on and just have a good time. Well, it turns out all the prices were in Aruban dollars, not U.S. dollars. So they were a little bit expensive, but it wasn't like this two or three times what I thought it was. So not only was I a jerk, I was an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> which often is good, you know, those two. They go to hand hand. Right, that's right. But at least I was consistent. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, that's what all idiot jerks say. <laughs> right. I'm dependable. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, I, w- I want to ask you, you know, we're currently kind of in an inflationary cycle in our culture. And what do you think of inflation? And is it permanent? Is it a condition of our our economic system? What's your take on things? Um, and and I am not an economist, so that's why I wanted you to answer the question. <laughs> uh, so I, I think prices rarely go down overall. So in that sense, you know, inflation is probably a constant state. But it's a matter of how bad the inflation is. And, you know, the under the, the poor Jimmy Carter years. Well, I was there. You know, yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. And we're not anywhere near that. Um, but I don't think we'll have a permanent state of extreme inflation. Um, I, you know, but who knows? I mean, nobody really knows. Um, that's the old joke. You can if you put all the economists in the world end to end, they still couldn't reach a conclusion. Right. So, you know, well, I mean, the reason, you know, I, the reason I ask is because as someone who's frugal, there's the recognition, well, this is, let's say this is $10 right now, but if I wait to buy it a year, it's going to be $11 yes. you know, at 10.65, depending on the rate of inflation. So there's this thing about, well, is, is it better to have it now, even though, or, or buy it later and, you know, all of that. And it depends you know, on what it is. Who knows? Well, and I'll give you a really concrete example. Uh, right, not too long after COVID hit and the inflation started, we kind of needed to redo our back deck, which is pretty big. And I talked to the guy that sent a bunch of work around here, 
And he went and priced it and said, you know, prices are pretty high. And I thought, God, that is really high. And so I think I'll just hold off until the prices come back down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my $5,000 job turned in, into an $8,000 job because they didn't come down. I mean, they came down from the very top, but not when I was looking to do it originally. But, but th- this is another example of, you know, kind of extending grace to yourself. That was probably the right move to make at the time. It just didn't work out. Right. And so, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. It's just kind of the way things went. Yeah. What about the philosophy of national debt? That one makes my head hurt. (laughs) There's a big part of me that says, you know, that particular uh, chicken is going to come home to roost at some point. But. There's also the fact that the government can keep printing money for a really, really long time. And I had an econ professor when I was in my master's program that basically said, yeah, at some point there's a limit, but it's a really, really, really big limit. And so the debt doesn't really matter as much as people think it matters. Hmm. Uh, and, And I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. That kind of sounds like worrying about the sun finally imploding. You know, one day it's going to happen, but not in our lifetime. Yeah, and I mean, other than having that maybe as part of uh, your decision-making for your vote, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Well, yeah. let me ask this sort of in this whole circle, with in light of the economics of our country, for the past, let's say, 15, 20 years, and the politics of our country for the past 15 years, do you think it's possible for our country to enter a decade of grace? Mm, Yeah, anything's possible. Do I see it anytime soon? I mean, barring something that we probably don't want to have happen. I don't see it very soon. Hmm. If we get into World War III or something like that, uh, you know, Americans, despite the recent COVID nonsense, uh, you know, Americans have a way of pulling together when they need to. But I I think I'd rather have the Republicans and the Democrats yelling at each other than go through World War III. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. (laughs) It'd be great. It'd be great if we could somehow find that spirit of connection before the events of tragedy, like just out of our own volition. If we could just extend grace to each other in our one six, you know, our six meter sphere of influence in our individual lives, we could start that process now. But but see, we we can do that. Yeah. You know, we can't change whether or not they're ever going to elect a speaker of the House. I mean, we you know, what can you do about that? But you can choose not to be an asshole, you know, and if somebody disagrees with you, you can say, all right, I don't agree with you and here's why. But that doesn't mean you're a terrible person. Right. The demonification of people who have opposing views. That's our big problem right there. Yeah. I I mean, it's the my, my wife calls it the you're evil, you're eviler school of politics. Hmm. Uh, and I really think that we probably have a lot more in common in terms of our values 
than it seems. I mean, I, I know a bunch of people on the left, and I know a bunch of people on the right, and, and nobody would argue against everybody having a fair chance. You we know, now, how you get there, maybe, they differ. We all want safer streets, better schools, yeah. a, a chance at some kind of economic prosperity and activity. Ultimately, an environment we can be happy in. Joy is the ultimate goal, I think. And with the exception of some people on the very extreme ends, I think pretty much everybody wants that. Yeah. You know, if you know, if you're willing to put the effort into it, everybody ought to give a, a fair shot. Yeah, I was just thinking that's kind of our human water. How water always seeks the easiest course to the ocean, and our human waters. We want to be happy. Yeah, but but um, you know, modern media is kind of wired to brew that divisiveness, you know, the algorithms are going to show you what's going to get the strongest reaction and what's going to get the strongest reaction, the most extreme thing. And, you know, how do you how do you get ratings? Well, by being Fox and talking about how terrible the Democrats are, you know, being MSNBC and talking about how terrible the Republicans are. The Reasonableness doesn't sell. Yet. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, there's always hope. Well, I think think it requires action. And this is where I think there's an opportunity. I think there's room in the media space for us to embody the principles that were behind the fairness doctrine, which incidentally were taken away by President under President Clinton's um, rain. And so my concept here is that if, if someone were to put together a team that wanted to return to that level of journalism in multimedia spaces, live television, social media, et cetera, that they would have the economic advantage because people have this yearning for this, even though they can't necessarily identify it, but it comes up in conversation so much, even on this show, it comes up a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, there probably is space for somebody to differentiate by, you know, going to that silent majority, you know, to borrow a term from a long time ago. As a teacher, am I understanding you're teaching business? Is that correct? I, I teach information systems in a business school. Yeah. So computers in the business school. Okay. So you're more about the systems themselves and creating those systems in a business environment. Well, and then applying them. So a lot of it is about how those systems affect business and the operation of business. Is there a social element of that? Like uh, looking at how uh, one of the challenges I remember from my um, corporate days was the silos of marketing and sales and trying to remove those silos. Is that thought and what you teach? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, There are things called enterprise systems, where one of the big points of enterprise systems was to have everybody having the same view of data. So it used to be marketing had their own data, production had their own data, and, you know, that just is a mess. And and it's supposed to facilitate um, communication across those silos as well. 
So it seemed to me like a gut reaction is that taking away transparency of information is a power move. And trying oh, yeah, to yeah, yeah. yeah. So again, kind of circling back to this grace thing, it seems like the more empathy and grace that individuals have, then the less um, propensity to have that greedy power grab element. Yeah, I, I would say that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difference between uh, a view of the world as finite resources or as infinite resources. Right. And the ability to navigate from a place of generosity assumes that there's going to be enough, that we'll find a way to create enough. And so far, that's proven out in the comments. Like, we just look around and, yeah, there's still people starving and there's all these issues. But ultimately, we do keep getting better at producing, you know, different things that we need to survive. Right. Um, I want to ask you a very kind of specific question in that capacity uh, as a business professor. Um, one of the things I've encountered in my own life is EOS, the entrepreneur operating system by Gino Wickman. Are you familiar with that? And what do you think of that system? I, I am not. No, I'm, I'm not it. an entrepreneurship professor, but uh... understood. So moving along to cybersecurity, you're not going to tell me what the EOS is? Oh, it's it's a, it's just what it sounds like. It's a operating system for entrepreneurs, typically small businesses up to around 250 p people per company. After you get beyond 250 people per company, you need to get a little bit broader spectrum on it. Mm -hmm. But Gino Wickman and Tom Bauer, B-O-U-W-E-R, uh, wrote a book called Traction, which describes how EOS works. And it's a system that entrepreneurs can use that helps you identify clear visions, clear metrics for how to measure your productivity and how to find the right seats, create the right seats for your business and then put the right people in those right seats. And that's just like the most rudimentary coverage of it. Um, it's something I, I like and I'm interested in, but um, it might not be for everybody. What, what I love about this idea and why I brought it up is I think one of the things that is not quite right with the way our structured system works right now is we're expecting and teaching people to expect to go to work for someone else. And I think one of the brilliant opportunities in our culture is the idea of being a business creator, someone who owns their own profit. And there's a lot of economic forces that are designed to con to contain the market so they can maintain their their hold on it. But people forget, especially young people, that it's almost just as hard to go through, get a degree and find um, a good job, quote unquote, as it is to go through, get a degree and create a business for yourself. And that to me seems like what our, our country's really, really built on the idea of, of business ownership. And I love that for myself. And I wonder, Craig, what do you think? Do you think that's a, a pretty good philosophy? So maybe, um, and let, let me tell you why I say maybe, um, yeah. a lot of it depends on how risk averse somebody is. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I had a small business. So uh, right after I got my MBA, I went to work for a company in Atlanta 
and it was a small business and started bouncing paychecks. And I thought, I, this is this was my exact thought. I thought, well, if I'm going to not get paid, I may as well not get paid by me. <laughs> and so I started a small business in, in the computer industry. Um, I used my contacts that I had for my job to get a dealership for this software. And uh, I don't know if, actually, they're not far from you. They're in uh, uh, Mill Valley. Um, Autodesk, AutoCAD. Yeah, Autodesk are just up the road now. So I I was one of the very early AutoCAD dealers and built it up into a nice little business. And then the market started to change where I didn't have enough capital to to make that next step. People that were kind of my size were going to get pushed out or be stuck there. Um, And so I sold it and moved on. But one of the things that made me not start another business is I didn't like all that risk. Um, but others have a different risk profile. And, and I'm very glad I started for a while. That I, I had it for maybe three years, and I'm very glad I did. I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and then there's the idea of should you try to do, a, your, do your own thing, have your own business, when you're young and you don't have a lot of financial obligations, you know, I just took care of myself. I didn't, you know, I had a little car payment and rent and beer money, and that was about it. Uh, or should you learn on somebody else's dime? And then when you really know some things, well, I, I didn't know anything, but you know some things, then you go out and do your own thing. So, Greg, it looks Do you have like a recommendation good. either way? No, I think it very much depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. And and the market, you know, if uh, you know, in my particular market, the the world changed. Right. Uh, when I started, I could make a forty percent profit margin on a personal computer. When I quit, it was down to about eight or ten percent. Wow. Well, you know, if you're selling hundreds of units, okay. If you're selling three a month. That's not sustainable. So it really depends. And that, now one of the things that the the Internet and, and the whole digital world opened up is the opportunity to create digital products that have a pretty low barrier to entry and, a, a, you know, if you get the right thing, a really big upside. So, you know, that if I was doing if, – if I had been where I was then, now, I would have been fully in the digital space. As part of your area of expertise that you're teaching, do you get into the elements of um, like online sales funnels and Hootsuite and those systems? I, I don't. I, I suspect some of the marketing uh, classes do, um, but I don't get into that in any Great detail. So, well, I, I teach kind of both ends. So, I teach the core business class that everybody has to take in information systems. So, it's one of those that's a mile wide and an inch deep. Right, right. Um, but I also teach the doctoral students. You know, where it's, you know, it's very narrow but very deep. Um, and so, with the undergrads, you know, we, we'll talk about some things like that. But not in any real depth. More like it exists, but and then you move yeah. on. 
Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, here's why it's important, and here's why, you know, you need to know about it. And then we move on to the next thing. So at that rudimentary level with the undergrads, is grace and empathy taught as a part of the business system? Uh, empathy, yes. I'm not sure grace is really taught, although I try to model it. I mean, what... You know, one of the things I tell the students is that you're adults and that's the way I'm going to treat you. You know, you don't come to class. I'm not going to get mad at you. But, you know, you have to live with the consequences. I, I can't extend grace as a professor letting you get by with everything. But I can extend grace by not getting all worked up and, you know, getting all over you because you do dumb kid stuff. Because, you know, we all did dumb, dumb kid stuff. Still are. I'm 61. I'm in a class at the college here. And the teacher came to me. I'm in a directing class, and I cut one of the lines of the script. She came to me, and she goes, you can't do that. you got to figure it out. I cut it because I couldn't figure out what the line meant. She said, that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, oh, God, you're right. Like, I'm trying to short I'm, – I'm trying to take the easy way. Like, I'm lazy. Well, and, and one of the things that that teachers have to do is help students sometimes understand difficult lessons. And so, you know, some kid, but my class is pretty easy. You know, there are some classes you can work your butt off in and, and still fail. Mine is not one of those. If you come in and do what you're supposed to do, you know, you might get a C, but you're not going to flunk. And so if some kid flunks my class and they come in and they're all upset and, you know, my mom and dad are mad at me and said, you know, you screwed up. You, you learn from it. And you move on. When you're 30, nobody's going to care about this. But if you don't learn this lesson now right? and you're 30 and you've got, you know, kids and a mortgage and that kind of thing and you screw around at work and get fired, that's a whole nother thing. So learn it easy. Yeah. And I think that does circle back to that grace for ourself, like teaching someone, yeah, you're going to make a mistake. Maybe it's a really big mistake. And part of that area of grace is you get back up, you take responsibility for it, do what you can to write it and move on. Well, and, and you don't you don't let things like that define you. You know, we all make mistakes. Yeah, that's brilliant. I heard someone talking about the whole prison system and how someone, let's say they murder someone, and that was an instant. And we don't need to get into the details of that instant, but that was an instant. For their whole life, that's the framework in which they are now viewed. Well, you might have found the use case where the thing he just said actually doesn't apply. I mean, there's a point at which murder stricken defines you. No, no, that's the point of grace. It it doesn't. That we all make mistakes. That was an extreme mistake, but there are people who have taken a life and go on to be very graceful individuals and actually from the heat of that mistake actually come out of that heat a more refined individual. But but, but that's a really important point. And, and I I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to law and order, just to preface, but 
you know, when if you have a moment like that, you can't go back and change that moment. Right. Whatever it was. But you don't have to let that moment define who you are for the rest of your life. Right. You know, you, you can be somebody who committed a murder, a murder, but not be that for the, you know, not make it your mindset for the rest of your life. It's like, yeah, you screwed up. You screwed up in a huge way. You took somebody's life. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Right. But you cannot change that fact. Right. You know, you, you, you can't unring that bell. So what are you going to do now? Right. Well, and this you know, calls you, in the question of how can we create a better system for our incarceration system that leverages this idea and creates more of that kind of result as opposed to just the punitive model? Well, I wish I could answer that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know because there are bad people that need to be locked away and kept away from the rest of us. But there are also a lot of people that screwed up. You know, I mean, a lot of us could have gone down a different path. And, you know, if we can get them back on a better path, we ought to try to do that. And warehousing isn't going to do that. And it does speak to environment. Like, I think all three of us would agree that the environments we're in have a profound element to the support we're receiving to be the individual we want to be. Right. Yeah, but, I agree. But at the end of the day, that's a circumstance, but it's not necessarily an excuse. No, not an excuse. Because there are lots of people. Now, now, should we work to change those circumstances and get people out of those kind of situations? Absolutely. Yeah. But there are tons of people that grow up in those environments that turn out to be really, really good people. And what we need to do is figure out how to take, you know, where where they're this kind of lump of clay and and shape it so they're kind of I'm gonna mix my metaphors, where they take the right path rather than the wrong path. <laughs> I felt like I was Austin Powers there for a second. That train has sailed. I've got a vision of this sculptured being walking a path. Made of clay. He has clay feet while he's walking the path, oh, which could be also be a problem. We'll have, we'll have to put that in uh, one of the in Dali or something and see what it, it, image it generates. Uh, well, uh, Craig, what you just spoke about, I think, is pointing directly to our elementary and middle school through high school school systems, but especially those very formative years of the elementary and preschool years. My daughter just went through a training. She just started working as an assistant teacher this last Monday. And I was thrilled to see what she was learning that involved empathy and um, calling in all the variants of humanity and kind of how one can create an environment in which all are feeling at home in that environment. Yeah. Well, and that's even more important in certain kinds of environments where maybe the home is not all that nurturing. My my first wife, who I lost to cancer a number of years ago, was a first grade teacher in a fairly challenging school in Orlando. And she was just fantastic. I mean, those kids knew when they were in her classroom, they were safe. They were held accountable, you know, for acting right. If they didn't act right, there were consequences. But 
Okay, you, you, I, I tell my dogs this sometimes. I mean, you got in trouble, but it's only a little bit of trouble, and everybody gets in trouble. So, yes, I'm that lunatic who has these discussions with their animals. But, but yeah, you, so you got in trouble. What, what are we going to do about it now? That's over. And, and the, the way the kids responded was just incredible. Yeah, you know what? I just the spark that comes to mind is it sounds like your first wife she was seeing those kids and those kids knew they were seen. And a part of that is boundaries. Like if you're fucking off and no one calls you on it, you're not being seen. Right. Well, it was so funny. She would, she would spend the first month or so of school training them. Didn't try to really do much with academics. It's all about training what's proper, what's improper. And, and she had fun. With the kids, I mean, they, she wasn't one of these really strict school marm types, you know, with the ruler smacking the kids' knuckles, that kind of thing. They 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 just adored her. But she she would train them right down to how they wash their hands before they went to lunch. And I, they'd all line up, and you know, little Raul would be in charge of the soap. And Sally would be in charge of the paper towels and the kids would line up and they'd all get one and a half squirts of soap. And then they'd wash their hands while they counted to whatever. And then they'd walk down and Sally would give them exactly two, not one, not three, but exactly two. Kind of like the holy hand grenade, right? The, um, give them the paper towels and that was it. But those kids knew what was expected of them. And, and then they'd all go line up and start picking their noses and their butts and that kind of did, thing. Did, <laughs> all you went out drop, did you just drop a Monty Python reference? I did. I did. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's a wrong, wrong number. Wasn't it three? Uh, it doesn't matter. The reference was heard. <laughs> Yeah, that brings up the concept of levity. Like levity is a big part of grace. We have to have a little bit of sense of humor about how things happen in life and, and the human condition. It, it's that's just part of the landscape. And the, you know, if we're if we're able to laugh at ourselves, then that gives us a little bit more tolerance of others. I think. Yeah, I mean, life is life is funny in multiple meanings of the word. You know, we. Yeah. I, I'm a huge believer in silliness. I won't subject subject you to, but I I go around and sing dog songs. Dog songs. I, dog songs. Yes, I have. Uh, I have many dog songs. There you go. Exactly. What's one of your favorite dog songs? Um, no. Again, I won't subject you to it. But my favorite one is you know you know the uh, Patsy Klein song. I go out walking after walking. midnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we lived in Arizona, I would muck the um, the paddock, which is what you see in my background, every morning, about three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, and I would sing. I go out mucking after midnight, <laughs> out in the moonlight, just picking up the poo. <laughs> That's not a dog song, but it's the, and they're they're all in that spirit. Well, if you were a prostitute, you could have a different verse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that spirit, that's what, you know, whistle while you work, that that whole idea gives us the buoyancy to get through the difficult aspects of being a human being. You know, the part of it is just slogging through 
muck in the stall of your life. And if you're willing to whistle while you do it, or if you're willing to make up a silly song, then that makes it more easeful and graceful for you. All right. That just, I, I just heard a great dad joke Monday. No, it was yesterday. Um, speaking what, of where was that when we were talking about dog songs? <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. It's all right. Um, this is a first, ladies understand. and gentlemen. The official moped outlaws pooch. What's yeah. that pooch's name, Greg? Marlin. Like Marlin, Marlin Brando or Marlin the Fish. All right, here's the dog joke. What does the puppy call his dad that only has one leg? What? Paw. Paw. Uh, allow me to counter. Okay. So back in the old West, this three-legged dog walks into a saloon, growls, and said, I'm looking for the varmint that shot my paw. I, I tell dad jokes in class, by the way, which tells you something. I love much that. What. I love them. One of my kids' favorite when they were about three was, what did the fish say when it hit the wall? Splat. <laughs> Damn. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So you're, you know, you, when you minute. go in and look, when you go in and look at your engagement statistics in YouTube, this is the moment when it'll. <laughs> no, I, I think that was long ago when I started asking the serious question. <laughs> there you go. No, no, no. Yeah, we'll but, get him back with Dolly. <laughs> but I think we have to modify our final question, Greg. No. No. Okay. No, no. Oh, I. Oh, I, I'm a professor. I prepped for this. Okay. All right. So is it time? Yeah, let's ask it. All right. Here we are. So, Craig, it's been a huge pleasure to share this time with you. Um, and this is our most important question of every episode. M&M or Foo Fighters? Oh, Foo Fighters. Although I, I, I will admit that I really did do homework. I, I pulled up the Foo Fighters on YouTube and Spotify just to make sure I was answering correctly. Although not, not, not Eminem. So pretty much anybody in M, except Yoko or Eminem. <laughs> you know, you know. Um, I think I like I. I put Eminem in the Prince file. Like I know people who don't like Prince, but if you're a musician – You've got it. You should. Now, there's a limit to grace. (laughs) (laughs) We're in agreement. (laughs) Sorry, that's that's ridiculous. So if is there any reason that people would want to interact with you? Do you have a book? Do you have a thing that you want people to know about? How how should people reach out to you if there's something to offer? What have you got going on? So uh, my my big project, you know, my side project is uh, my podcast, Live Well and Flourish at livewellandflourish.com. And it's all about using practical wisdom to live an excellent life. That That's the whole thing. Short episodes, the long ones are 15 minutes or so. The short ones are five minutes or so. Bite-sized, uh, you know, not for everybody, but probably for a lot of your viewers and listeners. Uh, I do have a book called On Leadership and Life that's out on Amazon. Uh, I think it's two ninety nine. It's cheap. <laughs> um, you know, just a bunch of thoughts. Um, 
But if you go to livewellandflourish.com, there's a contact form. Um, and you can feel free to get in touch with me. I'd love it if you signed up for my newsletter where we were talking about uh, um, entrepreneurship earlier, but we'll be a colleague and I are going to be launching a digital course um, probably around the first of the year, which I think a lot of people will get quite a bit out of. Um, will that be my on um, livewellandflourish.com when you launch? Uh, it will. We'll we'll make some sort of an announcement, and I'll announce it on the podcast as well. All right. Uh, it's good. I'll give you the teaser. It's going to be on uh, creating a personal manifesto. Hmm. You know, what are your beliefs? What are your worldviews? You know, write them down. Um, how do you develop that? Think through all of that. Yeah, right. thankfully the Stoics left us all of that stuff for, for us to check out. Uh, check they out. did. Uh, yeah, you That's have a, an opportunity to do that yourself. So my my uh, I think it's my next episode is called Stoicism. It's not just for bros. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings up a third another question, if I may, Greg. Sure. Marcus Aurelius or Plato? Oh, Marcus Aurelius, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I, I find Seneca a little bit easier to read, but you can't go wrong. Oh, I, I literally just ordered that translation. What's that book? It's called Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. My and sister gave it to me for uh, my 60th birthday. That, that's a, a more modern translation that's supposed to be really good. It's great. That's really good. You know, I, I'm a I'm a huge believer in stoicism. In fact, I, I backed into it. it. It's literally what got me through the loss of my first wife. She had she was in perfect health. Started having trouble with the hip. By the time they figured out what it was, it was stage four sarcoma, and you know it was just a matter of when. Uh, and the two and a half years she was sick. I focused, I, I knew I couldn't change the fact that she was sick and she was going to die. And it, it just, as soon as I read the research on it, I knew she's not going to make it through this. So I focused on what I could do for her. And through the entire two and a half years, when she started having trouble walking, we got her a cane. You know, that wasn't enough anymore, got a walker. And, you know, just whatever I could do. But But I literally spent no time banging my head against the wall about the unfairness of it. Now, maybe later I did, but during that time, that's a waste of energy. And then 10 years later, I found out that was stoicism. You know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, Epictetus, there, some things are under your control and some things are not. Um, so do you consider stoicism a form of emotional intelligence? Oh, yeah, 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 Absolutely. Uh, especially the self-directed part. Same you know, emotional intelligence is, is about yours and other people's emotions. Uh, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, well, I interrupted you. The The idea of what self-directed means in that sense. So it, part of emotional intelligence is being able to regulate your own emotions. And that's really what stoicism is a lot about. You know, the, the point of stoicism is to live a tranquil life. It's not about never showing any emotions. It's trying to manage your negative emotions and to not let your emotions rule you. And I think that's a that's what I meant by kind of the interlooking part of um, emotional intelligence. 
It turns out that's also the foundation for being able to provide grace. Yep, absolutely. Oh, nice, nice circle there. That was really well done. <laughs> yeah. It, and if I if I could leave one thought, be kind to yourself. You know, we we should be involved in progress, not perfection. Perfection is unattainable. You're going to screw up. When you do, learn from it, forgive yourself, show yourself some grace, and move on. Thank you, Craig. It's been a real pleasure having you. Likewise. I really enjoyed the conversation. So, see, people from California and Louisiana can have productive conversations. I agree. Especially over beignet and coffee. There you go. But always, always make sure that you're not downwind from the beignets or you'll end up with white specks all over your shirt from the powdered sugar. Ask me how I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. See you, Craig. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Recording stopped.